Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for Dinner with Jesus, a series exploring transformative mealtime encounters found in the Gospels. Together, we will discover the depths of these moments, revealing Jesus' mission of redemption through love and grace. We pray this message is a blessing. My name is Scott. I am one of the pastors here at New Life Cool and Gather. And we're now in week five of our sermon series titled Dinner with Jesus. And we've been looking at these times where Jesus has meals with people and what happens when he sits down and has these meals with people, how they're transformed by the love and the generosity of Jesus. And today we're going to be jumping straight in. We're looking at John chapter 21. And it's the last chapter in the Gospel of John. And it's not a dinner, it's actually a breakfast. So uh, I've kind of gone broken the mould here, but you know, it's a gathering, it's got food, it's got Jesus, it's got other people, so I think it's close enough, eh? So we're going to be looking at this, and what is happening right here, a bit of the context before we get into this, the disciples have been out fishing all night long. They're out fishing and they've caught absolutely nothing. And then John 21 verse 4 says, early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise it was Jesus. And he called out to them and said, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed... They saw a fire of burning coals where there was fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even so, many, even though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourselves and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. But Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And because of this, this rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, 
What if I want him to remain alive until I return? What is it to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. And we know that his testimony is true. And Jesus did many other things as well. Even if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of God. And so before I get into this message, I'd like to pray. Would you please join me? Father God, we thank you for this series, God. This series where we get to read about real life encounters. Real people having encounters with you, Jesus. And Lord, we get to see the truth that, that you bring out of these encounters. The truth, the grace, and the love. So God, I pray that you would help me preach this message with truth and grace and love, Lord, that in the end, they wouldn't look to me, that only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have you ever not known what the future holds for you? Have you ever thought, God, what is going on? I don't know where I'm at right now. Now, many years ago, um, I was working on the wharves as a warfare, as many of you know, and I was a crane driver, and they were giving redundancies because they were automating all the cranes. And so I decided, a friend came to me and said, hey, I'm going on a mission trip overseas. I'm going to be gone for a long time. I was wondering if you'd, you'd run my business for me. And so having a bit of experience, I was a plumber when I first left school, so I said, okay, cool. So I took the redundancy and I bought half a share into this business and he went overseas and went on mission. He was meant to be gone for years. Six months later, he was back home. And uh, the whole time before I actually went, I was like, God, should I buy this business? Should I go into this? And God's like, yes. I'm like, it's a lot of money. That's all the money I'm going to get out of my payout. And he's like, is that too much to give to my mission, is it? And so he just convicted me in my heart. I was like, oh, okay, I'll do it then. No, it's not too much. Um, so I bought in this business, but six months later, he returned. It didn't work out. And so I had to make a decision. We decided to sell the half of the business back, and he took it over again. And then I was left with no job, with nothing. I just started in Bible college. And I'm thinking, what is going on? I have no job. I have a house that I've got to pay off. I have a wife and two kids. And... I'm like applying for Woolies and Bunnings and, and no one's even getting back to me. And I'm like, God, I'm sure you told me to buy this business. I'm sure you told me to go and do this. Has anyone been in that situation before? Where you're kind of like feeling, God, what, what's going on? Like it all worked out. Obviously, I'm standing here today. And I wouldn't have been a pastor, I don't think, unless I'd actually left the wall. So God knew what he was doing. But this is what is actually happening here in this moment for the disciples. This is the context of the beginning of John chapter 21. So Jesus has died. For three days he's in the grave and he's risen again. And he actually appears to the disciples twice to show them that he has risen. And Jesus is actually walking around for about 40 days. But he only appears to his disciples a few times. But he appears to about 500 other people after he's raised from the dead. And so there's this confusion with the disciples. They're like, okay, now he's risen from the dead. What do we do? Like, like, is he going to bring in his kingdom now? Like, what, what's our job now? We've been following him for so long, but we don't know what to actually do now. So Peter gets to the point where he just goes, you know what, guys? I'm going fishing. Anyone want to come? And the other disciples are like, oh, yeah, okay. So they just go back to what they know. So they actually jump in a boat and they go fishing. They go back to their previous jobs and they're fishing all night long and they catch absolutely nothing. Now I went fishing with my son Eden last week and I caught absolutely nothing. It is so frustrating, especially when they're biting. It kept biting off all my bait, and I'm like, they're there. I just can't get them, right? 
So frustrating. But then Jesus turns up. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples didn't realize it was him. And he called out to them. He says, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and he jumped into the water. You know, this is really significant because Peter and John know this is Jesus because this has happened before. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is actually preaching. He's preaching from a boat. He pushes a boat out a little bit and he's preaching to the people on the land. And then he says to Peter, hey, push the boat out. Let's go fishing. And Peter's like, nah, I've been out there all night. There's nothing out there. He goes, let's go fishing. He goes, all right, because you said so, let's go. So they go out and he throws the net over and he gets this huge haul of fish. And Peter in that moment actually recognises who Jesus is. He recognises that he's something special, that he's possibly the Messiah. And so he falls at his feet and he says, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He's like, I know who you are. I'm a sinful man. You need to get away from me. And Jesus says, it's okay. I'm actually going to make you a fisher of men. So John and, and Peter, they, they knew this. And Peter gets so much excitement in him, he's not even going to wait till the boat gets ashore. He just jumps off and starts swimming in. And it says, The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals where there was fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon climbed back in the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So they get back to shore and there's this good old Aussie beach barbecue going on. Like Jesus got it all prepared, right? But do you know this is the last recorded meal Jesus has with his disciples in the Gospels? But Jesus actually has a purpose for this meal and specifically for Peter. This meal, it's, it's a meal of restoration, of encouragement, of command, but also of love. You know, Jesus didn't do anything haphazardly. Jesus had a purpose for everything. So when we read the Gospels, we need to really read them really close. And Jesus had a purpose here. It was to show Peter love. So the first thing I want to look at is love. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You see, after this meal, Jesus asked Peter some questions. And the first one is, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? But, but what's Jesus referring to? Well, I think Jesus is referring to the other disciples. And he's referring to the fish, his profession. Like Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these other people here? Do you love me more than other people in your life? And also, do you love me more than these, more than the money, more than wealth, more than your profession. You see, Jesus needs to start here because the command to follow him won't happen if Peter puts anyone or anything before Jesus. Jesus starts with this really important question. It's a really important question for us to consider too. Do we love Jesus more than anyone or anything in this world? Because this command to follow Jesus won't happen if we put Jesus second in any of these areas in life, and I'm going to be real here, Jesus is talking about all of life. Do we put other things before Jesus, like what we do and what we say, what we spend our time on, what we spend our talents on, 
what we spend our finances on. He's actually talking about everything. All of life, church, is an act of worship. And the way that we live our lives declares who we really love. So is there anything you wouldn't give up for Jesus? Because here's the truth. We invest in things that we love, right? We invest time, energy, and money into things that we absolutely love, like goods, like cars and our houses, in family and friends, in holidays, in clothes, in our pleasures, in our interests, right? We invest time and money into these things, yet we claim to love Jesus, but sometimes we invest very little into our faith. So if Jesus asked you the question, do you love me more than these, what would your response be? You know, I need to be honest, there are things that I do and say that would suggest that I don't put Jesus first and I need to repent and put him before everything. My time, my talents, my money, everything I've got to put before him. Are you like me? Where we don't, quali- we don't fully follow Jesus? Now to dive deeper into this conversation Jesus is having here with Peter, we need to look at the Greek word for love using this text here. Because did you know there are seven different words in the Greek language that translate into love in English. So in English, we only have one word for love, right? But it means many different things. Like I remember with me and my wife, we had our 10-year anniversary years back, and uh, we went to her favorite Greek restaurant because my wife is half Greek. And we're sitting there, and I'm like, I love you, honey. She goes, I love you too, but I love this halloumi, right? We had this halloumi. It was, it was really good, actually. And she's like, oh, I love it so much. She was going on and on about this halloumi, right? And I'm like, the end of the night, I'm like, I don't know who she wants to take home, me or the halloumi. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure she's more in love with this, right? Like we love our husbands and our wives. We love sports. We love surfing. We love our friends. We even love KFC. Can I get an amen? Yes, come on. It's the same word, but obviously they have slightly different meanings. But hopefully we love our spouses more than we love halloumi. But in the ancient Greek language, and the New Testament, when it was written, there's seven different words that they have for Greek, uh, for love in the Greek. There are only four used in the New Testament. And so I'm going to go through four of these to give you a better understanding of how they break the word up to show you what it really means. So the first one is phileo. And then there's eros, and there's storge, and then there's agape. And I want to tell you, like sometimes we'll bring up the Greek in a message. It's not that we want to look smart. It's not that we want to look cool. It's because of this reason. Sometimes there's just not the right word in the English to translate the real meaning behind the Greek word. So sometimes we go into the Greek to, to find a deeper, richer meaning for the word. So the first one's phileo. It refers to a love between close friends or, or brothers. It describes this emotional feeling when you get when you think about your closest friends and, and how they've always been there for you. So in the New Testament, it's usually translated as brotherly love. Then we have eros. Eros refers to the love that's found in a romantic relationship. It, return, it re- refers to like passion and intimacy. It's where we get our English word erotic from. It's connected to this idea of like falling in love or being in love. And it's the love that's shared between a husband and wife and it's unique to them and no one else because of the sexual intimacy that they have and that they share. It's a beautiful thing that's only between them. Then we have Storge. So storge is, refers to a love between family members. It's that strong love, you know, between your parents and the child and the child and the parents. It's this, this family unit that's so close. And it's this love that's protective and it can withstand like any kind of trial. It's this strong love children have for parents and parents for children. And we know that sometimes we go through trials with our family, right? But we don't brush them like we brush our friends. 
because we have this different love for them. And then the last one is agape, is the Greek word for love that's the most familiar in the New Testament. It's unconditional, sacrificial love. And it actually biblically refers to the love that God is and the love that God shows. So in 1 John, in one of his letters, he says, God is love. He says, God is agape. He is unconditional, sacrificial, perfect love. And it's the same love that we find in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, God so agape the world, unconditionally, sacrificially loved the world that he sent his only son. You see, agape is, is this love of choice. It's a love of serving others with humility. It's a selfless love. It's the highest form of the four loves that we've looked at. That's why it describes God and describes his love for us. So now that we've set that foundation, we know the different words for love in the Greek, it will help us understand what, ha- what is actually happening here when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He says, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. You see, in this moment, Jesus says to him, Simon, do you agape me? Do you unconditionally love me? Do you put me before everything else? Peter's like, nah, I fellow you. I don't love you like you love me. That's as far as I can go. You see, Peter knows that he doesn't love Jesus perfectly or unconditionally. And Peter is still feeling like a failure after denying Jesus three times when he was arrested. Remember that story? That just before Jesus was arrested, Peter's like, I'll die for you. Jesus is like, no, you'll actually deny me. And then it happens. Jesus gets arrested and he gets taken away and, and Peter follows and, and they say to him, hey, you're one of those Galileans. No, nah, no, I'm not. Hey, aren't you one of those guys that followed him? No, nah, not me. Don't you, you know Jesus? I don't know who that man is. Three times he denied Jesus. And after the third time, it says Jesus turned and looked at him. Could you imagine what that look would have looked like? That the third time Peter denied Christ, Jesus just looks at him and says, Scripture says that, that he just broke down. He started weeping because he realized, no, actually, I don't love you like you love me. And he just went away, broken man. So in this moment, Peter's here, he's, he's been changed, he's been humbled. And now he admits that he doesn't love Jesus like Jesus loves him. And so Jesus again says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. See, it happens a second time. And Jesus asked Peter, do you agape me? Do you unconditionally love me? Peter's like, I follow you. And the third time he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This time Jesus does something beautiful. He actually downgrades the question to Philea. You see, Jesus comes to Peter on this level of his love. That's why Peter's hurting. Because Jesus has asked him, Do you agape me? He's like, no, I don't. And then he asks him the third time, do you love me? Do you phileo me? And he's like, yeah, I've been telling you that. I've been telling you that from the start. That's where where I'm at right now. And, And Peter knows that Jesus knows his heart. He now believes that fully that Jesus is God. 
that he is a resurrected Christ, that nothing passes Jesus, that he sees right into the heart. He's like, Jesus, there's nothing I can hide from you. You know that I only fillet you. But Jesus wants to restore Peter. Jesus wants Peter to know that he loves him and wants to restore him back into full relationship. He wants Peter to know that everything is okay between them. So Jesus says, hey, Philea is good enough. And this encounter with Peter gives me such encouragement because I know I can't love Jesus like he loves me. Can you? Because his love is perfect, it's sacrificial, it's unconditional, and I don't love him that way. But here's the beauty. Jesus knows this and he still wants to use me for his kingdom. And when I know God's agape love, it will actually motivate me to love God and love others more. Because my goal is to agape love God in return. It's to try and work towards that. You know, love is so powerful. Love is what will motivate Peter, not a command. Love is what will sustain Peter through all the hardships of life. Love will make him stand firm in the face of even death. Love is the most powerful motivator in the entire world. It's not money, it's not fame, it's not fortune, it's not pleasure, it's not even fear. Only love will make you sacrifice yourself, right? Like, I'll lay my life down for my wife and her children. I'd rather face death than they face death. Because love is the only motivator that will get you to a point where you'll be dying, that you will be willing to die for someone else. And we know that God loves us because that is what God did. He died for us. He died for you and me. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love, agape, for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his unconditional, sacrificial, perfect love in this way, that while we were sinners, while we had our backs turned to him, that he actually came and died for us. What more could God have done to prove his love for you? What more could he have given to show you that he agape loves you. And that's what will make us love God, by understanding deep down in our heart the agape love God has for us. Martin Luther says, Peter's love for Christ is not based on his own feelings or works, but it's based on the love of Christ for him. Peter knows that he is loved by Christ, that his love is the foundation of his own love for Christ. This love is not a mere feeling, but it is a commitment. Peter is committed to following Christ no matter what the cost. You see, Jesus in this conversation, he's showing Peter his unconditional, perfect and forgiving love towards him. And that actually restores Peter's soul. You see, Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus here is restoring Peter in this moment with three declarations of love. He's saying, hey, you denied me three times, but let me show you, you love me. I'm going to get you to declare your love for me three times to restore you. Peter's thinking, I'm done. You're done with me. I'm not good enough. And Jesus is like, I'm not done with you. You actually love me. And it's this whole point of this meal was to restore Peter back in relationship with Jesus and restore his commitment to the mission of God because Jesus, at the end of each one, gives him a command. He says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, and take care of my sheep. He reinstates him. He says, hey, this is your job. Now that we've dealt with that, your job is to feed my lambs. These are new Christians. These are people who are coming into the faith. You feed them milk, right? You feed them the beautiful word of God to help them grow and then feed my sheep. These are mature Christians, right? We are to encourage one another in love and faith and good works. And he says, take care of my sheep. He's like, I'm going to make you a shepherd over the sheep. 
Like, we know what sheep are like, right? They just go walking all over the place. They don't know where to find food. They just literally wander. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to be a shepherd. I want you to care for them. Lead them to greed pastures. Lead them to water. John Christendom says, and Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. What does this mean? It means nothing other than this. Tend them, care for them, shepherd them. He did not say rule them, but feed them. And what is feeding sheep? Nothing other than providing them with the spiritual nourishment, bringing them to divine pastures and protecting them from the wolves. You see, here Jesus is calling Peter to lead the church, but in a way that's different to the world. Peter wants, uh, Jesus wants Peter to lead like him, sacrificially, servant-heartedly, feeding, caring, leading, guiding, actually serving. Sounds a lot like discipleship, doesn't it? It actually sounds like this opposite church. This is the great commission that he says later before he ascends to go and make disciples, but put in practical terms. So if you want to know what it's like to to disciple someone, then obey this command to Peter and think, what can I do to, to care for this person, to feed them, to protect them, to guide them through God's word, through his Bible? It's simply helping people know, love and follow Jesus, the good shepherd. So after lovingly restoring Peter, Jesus tells him what's actually going to happen in the future. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourselves and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. He says, when you were younger, you did what you wanted. But now, that's not going to happen. That's so true for me. You know, coming to faith at 33, I did what I wanted. My whole life was just about me. My whole life was what I could get out of life, what I could rip off others, spend all my money on my own self. I did what I wanted. And then I met Jesus. And he transformed my heart that now I actually desire to follow him. And I go places where I don't want to go. Like if someone told me, you know, six or seven years ago, you're going to plant a church, I would have gone, you're nuts. I don't want to plant a church. But then God called me to plant a church. I'm like, Lord, the most joyous thing I can do is follow you. Even though I'm not ready. Even though I'm not good enough. If you're saying go, I'll go. And now Peter is going to follow Jesus. And he's actually going to be put to death for his faith. So there are recordings of of Peter's death. It wasn't straight away. It was quite a ways after Jesus ascended. But Peter was actually crucified. And when they announced that they were going to crucify him, he said... I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. And so they did. They crucified him upside down. So why did Peter just, why didn't he just deny Jesus? Why didn't he just deny the faith and and save himself from being killed? Because something changed. Something changed in Peter's heart. Now Peter is full of the Holy Spirit and he's actually seen the risen Christ. So he won't deny Jesus anymore and he's not afraid of death anymore because of Jesus' resurrection, Peter knows that he also has eternal life. And we know that we are going to be persecuted if we follow Christ. Matthew 10, uh, 5.10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter heard these words and Peter now believes these words. He believes that he has a reward in heaven, that that if he dies on earth, that is not the end of the story for him. 
And Jesus' command to follow him, he says, follow me, draws Peter right back to the beginning, right back to the start of the gospel where Jesus is like, leave your nets, follow me. So it's this call to follow that's now been restored. He's been forgiven and he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. But, classic Peter, says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? He's like, all right, like, I've got to do this, but, but what about him? Does he get a better deal? Does he get like, to lead? Like, does he get a bigger church than me? Like, what about him? So weird, like Jesus and Peter are having this man-to-man talk, and while they walk, Peter notices John, and he's like, hey, what's going on? What's your plan for John? You've got to tell me what's going on there. It's this, this spirit of comparison, right? How often do we compare to one another? But what did Jesus say? He said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You follow me. She's like, John's story, John's calling, he's got nothing to do with you. I'm actually calling you to something. So you follow me. I mean, we do this all the time, right? We compare ourselves with others. We look at others and we go, oh, oh, they don't give, so I don't give. Or I know a Christian who's been a Christian for ages, they don't serve, I don't serve. We compare ourselves to others, right? Or we look at someone and say, oh, you know, they're a great speaker, I'm not. I know I feel like God's calling me to actually preach the gospel, but no, 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 I'm different to them. I'm not as good as them. What would Jesus say? Jesus would say, hey, don't worry about them. What have I called you to do? So that's the question I want to ask. What is God calling you to do? Sometimes it's serving. Sometimes it's giving financially. Sometimes it's serving your family in your workplace. Sometimes it's stepping out of your comfort zone. We've all had to do it at some stage. Maybe you've just gone, no, because you're comparing yourselves to others. But Jesus is saying, don't worry about them. You just follow me. Because we're all commanded individually to follow Jesus in different ways. Reese, do you want to come up, mate, when you're ready? Thank you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Christ's call to follow him is a call to discipleship. Discipleship is a life of commitment to Christ. It is a life of following Christ wherever he leads, even if it leads to death. Discipleship is not a life of ease, but a life of joy. For the disciple of Christ, there is no greater joy than to follow him. Now, honestly, church, I can tell you from experience that sometimes God asks us to do stuff And when we deny it and when we push it away and when we compare ourselves with others, that just brings a lack of peace. But even if you don't think you're ready, even if you don't think you're good enough, when you step into what God's called you to do, guess what? He empowers you to do it. Because he's called you. Because the one who calls you is what? Faithful. That's what the word of God says. So the question is, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a lover of Jesus? Because here's the truth. To be a Christian, saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be all of these. And and if we're not, we need to ask ourselves the hard question. Is my faith real right now? Because Jesus calls us to follow him in all that he teaches and commands. John 14, 23 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, anyone, this is Jesus talking, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And my Father will love them and he will come. we will come and live with them and make a home with them. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, they will obey me. 
He doesn't say, if you love me, you must. Notice this isn't a command. He's actually saying, if you love me, this will be a fruit. If you truly love me, you will actually obey me. And you'll do it with joy. And he says, my father and I will come and make a home with you. He'll actually empower us. You see, a true disciple of Jesus obeys with joy because we know God and we love God, even if it's just phileo love. We love God for who he is and what he's done for us. So you're being obedient to the command to follow Jesus? John then finishes the entire gospel with this. This is a disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. But if every one of them were written down, I suppose that the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Do you know Jesus did a multitude of other things? Like They followed him for three and a half years every single day. We just get a tiny snippet of the things he said and the things he'd done. There is so much more that could have been written. And he says, this testimony is true. True, straight from the eyewitness account. This is a man who walked with Jesus. This is the whole reason why Jesus wrote this gospel was to prove that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's to prove that Jesus is our Savior and our God. And he literally tells us this in chapter 20. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John's just teaching us the gospel here. He's saying, I wrote this book that you may believe that God himself stepped off the throne and came down. That God himself presented himself in flesh. That he took on human flesh. That he felt pain and suffering and grief. That he was battered and bruised and he was nailed to a cross. That the Son of God hung there for you. That by believing in his name, believing he died for you, and that he rose again in victory over your sin, that you would have life in his name. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ for all who repent and put their faith and trust in him. So the questions are from this text, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Okay, well, take care of my sheep. You know, we all have a purpose in the kingdom of God, each and every one of us. And he's asking you, follow me. Don't compare yourselves to others. Don't worry about what other people are doing. You better be obedient to what I'm asking you to do. Why? Because Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. So he is worthy of our worship and our obedience. So just imagine with me in this moment, you're walking with Jesus. You get that opportunity to walk along the beach with him. And he turns to you and he looks you in the eye. He says, do you love me? What's your answer? And then he says to me, hey, follow me. You follow me. Will you follow him today? Will you join me in prayer? Father God, I just, gosh, I love your word so much. Because every time I read it, I get so convicted that I don't follow you. And Lord, I know there are people out here today 
that feel the same way as me. We feel like Peter. We feel like failures. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of our sin. Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit in power. That we would have the boldness to follow you, Lord, in everything you're asking us to do. So Holy Spirit, I pray you come now. Would you speak to us individually? What are you calling us to, Lord? And you might be sitting here today if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You didn't know that God unconditionally loves you. That means it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how, how much you've sinned. He loves you so much that he was willing to die for you if you would just come to him. Come to the table. Come into relationship with him by repenting of your sin and putting your faith and trust that Jesus loves you and he actually died for you. So if that is you, while everyone's head bowed, I'd just love to pray for you. So I'd love you to just put your hand up so I can see who you are and pray for you. You can do that now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, do you see those hands? You see those that want to commit or recommit their life to you? God, I pray in this moment that you would restore them like you restored Peter. That as they come to you, God, with their sin, that you have forgiven their sin, cleanse them and clothe them, clothe them in your righteousness. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we glorify your name for what you have done. And Lord, for the rest of us, would you empower us to be your hands and feet in this world, to show the world your love, your mercy, and your grace. You're agape love, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.